Good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Pacific Hope Church. Welcome to the spring session of Sunday School. This is week six of the series Equipping the Saints, a Primer to Biblical Counseling. We have Matthew to thank for that title. Thank you. This week's topic is a lack of peace. And I think uh, this is the, the weekend of the year where we find out who's still on analog and who's hooked up to Cupertino time, right? So we'll just be patient as people continue to trickle in if they're still out in the foyer or in Fellowship Hall, but we'll get to it. Charles Spurgeon believed that those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. And yet, even the Prince of Preachers battled with depression, a lack of peace, if you will. Spurgeon wrote, I have suffered many times from severe sickness and frightful mental depression, seeking almost to despair. Now, what was it, do you suppose, that brought a man who ministered to more than 10 million people during his lifetime to a point that, in his own words, was a point of despair? Much of the time, in the life of the Christian, a lack of peace can simply mean be a matter of focus. Focus on ourselves, our wants, our desires, our worries, or our fears. And you know, of all the topics that we have been covering in the last month and a half, this one kind of encapsulates all of them, right? Whether it be grief, or fear, or anxiety, this one kind of rolls all of them into one, doesn't it? And as we've covered over the last month and a half, when we put our focus on ourselves rather than upon Christ, it's then that we open ourselves up to all matter of issues. Jesus referred to them as the cares of the world in the parable of the sower, right? And we remember what the cares of the world did. They choked out the word and made the seed unfruitful. Other times, the lack of peace could demonstrate the presence of a sort of gospel confusion, a dangerous misunderstanding of what the gospel is, who Christ is, and what he expects of us. And when we take the totality of Spurgeon's teachings into consideration, it's difficult to believe that there was any type of gospel confusion for this man. But when we consider that he lived back in the 1800s and the, the, the weight of his calling that, that he took upon himself, that, that he was responsible for the souls of all these people that, that came to hear the gospel, when he was preaching, there's, there's little wonder that the soul sickness that he referred to suffering from 
as, as his spiritual issue, that that might be part of the price that he would pay for being a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon suffered many of his own bouts with sickness as well as his own wife being bedridden for decades. If you look him up, you'll see that by today's standards, he had more than enough reasons for a lack of peace. He said of his afflictions, the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Affliction is the best book in a minister's library. Today, we're going to look at a woman named Kimberly. We're going to hear about her lack of peace. She's a woman with a life a little more like yours and mine and a little less like Spurgeon's. And like all of us, she's just looking for peace and happiness. She doesn't have a ministry to millions. She's a woman who's been through some stuff. And her path to peace is one that is going to take some time and some sanctifying work in order to bring her from brokenness to wholeness. Please pray with me. Lord God Almighty, your word reminds us to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we thank you that these trials are providentially permitted by you as only momentary afflictions, but that you're preparing an eternal place for us with you in glory. We pray that this time that we have together will help us to confront the ways that we have made much of ourselves and our earthly problems while making little of you and your eternal promises. Lord, in you we take refuge. You are our hope and trust. Help us to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. is peace. If something can come to try to just disturb my peace or disrupt my day and I could win that test of not allowing it to take me there, I call that a happy day. <laughs> I call that a very, very happy day. How I typically respond when someone hurts me, I distance myself. Like sometimes I just, I literally like cut people off. I just don't want it around me and I just kind of step away from it. doesn't want peace. Kimberly certainly does, but it appears that Kimberly would like to accomplish many things during her time with Dr. Gifford. As you listen to Kimberly share some details of her life, start to list all of the challenges she has and all of the issues she would like to resolve in biblical counseling. 
what type of healing am I hoping to find with biblical counseling? Um, all of it. Um, I, I want uh, more peace. Definitely want to be healed from um, my abandonment issues. Um, that's a big thing. I want to be healed from that. I want to be healed from um, just some insecurities that I have. Were you able to keep score of Kimberly's desires? A desire for peace? A desire to not be angry? A desire to move past the pain and anger caused by traumatic events and dashed dreams? Where would you begin with Kimberly? And the answer in biblical counseling may surprise you. When a person participates in biblical counseling, the biblical counselor must determine if the person has understood and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're about to see why this is the first and most crucial step of biblical counseling. In our upcoming meeting with Kimberly, first of all, we have the goal of clarifying the gospel and Kimberly's understanding the gospel. I want to ask her about her definition and what she understands the gospel to mean and then move into the implications of that. I'm wondering that just based off of her PDI and some of the things that she's mentioned. So I'm going to ask her to share her testimony with me and to just listen carefully to some of the things that she says. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Would you be able to help me understand a definition of the gospel or how you understand the gospel? My opinion and my, well, my definition of what the gospel is, is um, a message, a message that brings hope that if we make that choice um, to believe in who God and who Jesus is, um, that we don't have to go through this, this life on our own. And um, there's a bigger picture. There's something bigger. There's something greater. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's, I know they say that it's good news and the good news is knowing who Christ is and is knowing that there's something greater. When you think of the gospel, what does it look like for God to show His favor to you or for God to bless you? What that looks like to me is someone that is ever so um, loving and ever so caring and that no matter what, not to say that He doesn't want me to do, to be better, to be a better person, but no matter through what, even through my mistakes, um, He's always there providing, He's always there. After going through Kim's PDI, we learned a couple of things that we need to clarify. She said, the gospel is who God is and who Jesus is. And so I, I wanna begin to expand more on that and even go back to maybe when she started to follow Jesus. There was also the discussion of God's blessing and she said that God loves her and God is for her, which is true. Yet I also wanna hear how the gospel connects to God's love for her. So what about Jesus's work in the gospel has become the basis by which God loves her. While biblical counseling can and will help Kimberly with a myriad of struggles, we can't pass go until we know the counselee has surrendered to Christ. If a counselee doesn't know the gospel, then biblical counseling can't work. Did you catch that? I didn't say it won't work, I said it can't work. You see, biblical counseling isn't self-help. Biblical counseling is not a method to achieve emotional stability. Biblical counseling is about the transformation of the counselee to move from brokenness to wholeness and grow in godliness. 
The singular goal of every biblical counselor is not to fix someone's problem. It is to lead them to love Christ more and become increasingly transformed into his image. And that's why the counselee must be saved if biblical counseling is going to help. And this is precisely where Dr. Gifford is going to begin with Kimberly. If you are a biblical counselor, your heart yearns to help people find solutions to their problems and relief from their pain. But if the biblical counselor overlooks the necessity for the counselee to know and believe the biblical gospel, then biblical counseling cannot succeed. Yes, a person might learn some biblical life hacks, but the counselee will not grow in Christ's likeness. And that is the singular goal of biblical counseling. You said the gospel is just understanding who God is and it's the good message, the, the news of Jesus and, and knowing who Jesus is. When you look back over your life, was there a time when you believed that that's, that's when I learned about the gospel message for the first time? My mom always instilled God, but when I first really started to understand about having a relationship with God and really knowing about who Jesus is, I think I was just getting out of high school. That's when I learned, okay, this is a, you know, it's a relationship. It made me want to know more of who, you know, like who Jesus is. I do believe that God wants me to be happy. A part of this life on this planet is Him wanting us to live an abundance life. I mean, it does say in the Bible, in Scripture, Christ has came for us to live an abundant life. And there's scriptures throughout the Bible that does state that He wants us to live a successful life. He wants us um, to live a life of abundance. I don't believe that I serve a God that wants me to just be miserable all my life. So I definitely do believe that um, happiness is something that He wants to make sure that I um, live throughout this life. My definition of a successful, abundant life is having all of my beings and my life and my house in order, my relationship, my finances, my peace, my, my health, that to me uh, checks off as a successful life. You had mentioned previously things that you would affirm or things that you would say to maybe either remind you, I think, of what God's doing or, you know, believe and help facilitate faith. Is that right? Like, I think they were called affirmations. What does that look like, practically? Um, I start my morning off, me and my kids, with a certain, certain affirmations. We speak life. We speak life um, into ourselves. We speak life for throughout the day. Yeah. Like, we will say things like, I am blessed, I am prosperous, I'm protected by God's heavenly angels. And that's something that I'm instilling in my kids to do before we even step out the door. Declarations are also in there as well. I mean, we okay. speak those things and say that we're blessing everything. And then there's times when I'm like, kids repeat after me. We just start declaring certain things that we may need to see that week. And, I, and I'll say, mommy's gonna see X, Y, Z this week. And we believe that it's done. And then we're just, that's us being in agreeing. It's, you know, we're all agreeing on what we're believing God for. Will you grab your Bible? Will you go to 1 Corinthians 15? Would you feel comfortable reading verse three through five for us? 
Therefore, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cyphus, then to the twelve. Paul's saying this is what is of first importance. This is the message of Jesus. And in verse one, he uses the, the term gospel. And that message of Jesus is distilled down into these three, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. I always appreciate in accordance with the scriptures. It's just because that's what the Bible said was gonna happen. And it was fulfilled when Jesus died. This message becomes the hope, not only for the church that's at Corinth, but the hope for all of us. That's what, again, you've emphasized. It's the message that brings us hope. It's the good news. And it's news about someone. It's about Jesus. So his death and his burial and his resurrection, it becomes the center point for all good news. It becomes the hope of all hopes that we can now be made right with God through the work of Jesus. So this gospel, this central gospel, is gonna become paramount in its importance to all that Paul does. No doubt that you are listening to what Dr. Gifford is saying to Kimberly, but are you listening to his tone? Do you notice how gentle he's being? Certainly nobody knows the state of someone's soul, but when a professing Christian gives a gospel testimony that falls short of saving knowledge, the biblical counselor must gently and lovingly teach them the simplicity of the gospel. And Dr. Gifford is hitting the mark. Listen for it. Dr. Gifford is challenging Kimberly's understanding of the gospel, but his tone is not aggressive, caustic, or condescending. That must be the mark of every biblical counselor. Let's go to one other passage. Go to Galatians, if you don't mind. So verse six says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. No matter who comes to me or who comes to you, if they're bringing a message other than Jesus is the one who died, who was buried, and who rose again, no matter who they are, I have to be able to say, look, I don't care if an angel appeared to me today. And that would probably freak me out just a little bit if an angel showed up today. I don't care if an angel shows up and brings another message. I am not going to believe another gospel. There is no other gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the center point. So. I'm affirming some of the things that you've said and then I'm expanding that that message of who God is and who Jesus is, it's revealed here. And so then the outworkings of that are gonna be based off of the gospel. Dr. Gifford just challenged Kimberly's worldview and her understanding of the gospel. In other words, he is turning her world upside down. But did it sound like that? If I were to give Dr. Gifford a grade on modeling gentleness while lovingly questioning someone's foundational beliefs, he would get an A. Now let's see if he can maintain that grade as he continues to gently expose Kimberly's less than perfect understanding of the gospel and the dreadful outworkings of not believing the gospel rightly. I have 
have a book of prayer and it has prayer from waking up and living with God and finances, tithing. My favorite affirmation, Deuteronomy 28, God delights in my prosperity. He gives me the power to get wealth so that his covenant will be established upon this earth. Dr. Gifford is worried about Kimberly. She's using language and describing beliefs to indicate her understanding of the gospel is errant. Kimberly seems to believe the gospel is about happiness and that God desires to make us happy, but that's wrong. The gospel is not about happiness, it's about holiness. The heavy laden sinner shouldn't come to Jesus to be made happy. She must come to be made righteous. And if that distinction is not made in the mind of the counselee, the outworkings of that deficient gospel are manifold, starting with the issue of suffering. When a person believes that the gospel is about happiness, as soon as suffering comes from the hand of our kind, wise, heavenly Father, then the person is perplexed. They can't understand why God isn't delivering on His promise, and they will grow angry. After all, they have been trying to be good for God, and if He doesn't reciprocate by smoothing out their bumpy road, then anger will soon arise. And this is all the result of a deficient understanding of the gospel. And if it doesn't happen, you know, something that you've declared or affirmed, how do you respond in that moment? It's been difficult because <laughs> I've had a certain anticipation for certain things um, kind of coming through for me this year and it didn't take place. And there were some times where I was upset with God and I was just kind of like, but you, you said you wanted me to live in abundance. Like, you know, I'm not seeing that right now. James chapter one is gonna say something about the, the times where things don't really go according to our plan. Would you mind reading verse two for me? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Ah. <laughs> Can we just like scratch that one out of the Bible? You know, that's not the one that just evokes joy and excitement from me. But James doesn't say, well, just be happy that you experience a trial. He doesn't just say that. He says, verse three, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's important to hear too that the way that God has worked in your life, maybe it's to sustain you and that you're saying what God has done is give me the grace or the energy to continue to follow him. And so the good news of the gospel is good news because it's not about how gifted Greg or Kim are, how much we're gonna accomplish with our lives. It's good news because it's about God and the work that he's done through his son, Jesus. So in 2 Corinthians 5, this is the passage where it's really about walking by faith, not by sight. And that becomes kind of this backbone for how we are to live our Christian life. We're to live our Christian life as walking by faith and not by sight. I know there's been difficult seasons in your life. So when we walk by faith, it means that we're not letting our eyes stay on those temporal things. But we're looking ultimately to God. We're looking to his eternal purposes for us. Now look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We have this message of the gospel that's being reminded here. And, and Paul's actually encouraging 
the Corinthians. This is what his ministry was about. And he says here that the love of Christ controls us and he died for us. You mentioned that earlier, that God loves you, that he's for you. We could say it this way, that God is for Kim because of what Jesus has done. Jesus died for you and allowed God to be for you. If you're living for Jesus more, even though things may not go as planned, that is what a success in God's economy looks like. But things didn't go the way I planned them. I'm still glorifying God, I'm living for Jesus, I'm pleasing God. It's a hard truth, but it's one that gives us hope because now there's no trial that is insignificant. There's no event or activity that we do that is insignificant. It all matters because it is all about Jesus. Dr. Gifford has a good reason to be concerned that Kimberly's understanding of the Bible is not just deficient, but flat out misinformed. Knowing that our benevolent Lord is working out all things for our good gives us peace and hope and the desire to not speak affirmations that have no power but to wholly lean on Jesus as he works out his transformative work in our lives. The gospel is not about happiness. The gospel is about holiness. That is a hard word that must be delivered gently. This being said, Spurgeon points out that those who are beloved of the Lord must be the most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. Happiness is a natural result of our obedience to the Lord. And that leads us to some very urgent questions for you. Biblical counseling is powerful. But unless the foundations of the gospel and the Bible are firmly believed by a counselee, the counselee will not be transformed. Why? Because biblical counseling is not about behavioral modification. It's about growing in Christ's likeness. And that cannot happen until a person is in Christ. Okay, Kim, it's time for homework. Homework is not intended to make your life busier than it already is, and I know you're pretty full right now. It's intended to take what we've talked about and practically apply some things to your life. We talked through 1 Corinthians 15, and one of the places I'd like you to start is I'd like you to start with 1 Corinthians 15. As you're reviewing it, you're gonna go back to verses three through five, and you're gonna seek to summarize it. And when you summarize it, you're just putting it in your own words, but then I would like you to memorize the verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 5. That's the verse that talks about, because he died for you, we are to live for him. Last thing, and that I know you're actively part of a church already, and I want to encourage you that biblical counseling is going to encourage you to stay connected to your church. So I just want to assume that you're doing that. And it, it doesn't mean that it has to be a daily meeting with your pastor, but long-term, your local church is the place where you will grow, the place where you're hearing God's word taught to you. And so we have to see the big picture. If we're not connected to a church, we're the ones that are missing out. I know you're busy. So tell me, is this realistic to accomplish? It is. It okay. is. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you for that. So let me do this. We'll pray for us and then we'll be done. Okay. I have great hope for Kimberly. After talking with her and clarifying the gospel, we were able to help her understand things she hadn't considered about the gospel, clarifications. And when you truly understand the gospel, it begins to be the foundation or the seedbed upon which you understand your purpose. When we understand the gospel, it changes everything because the implications of our Christian life stem back from what Christ has done on our behalf. That's the message of the gospel. 
So the hope that we have comes through the work of Jesus. Our identity comes through the work of Jesus. Our security comes through the work of Jesus. That's the gospel and its implications. Maybe that's something you need to hear, that the gospel is the foundation for all of it. It's not your aptitudes. It's not your giftings or skills. It may not even be the things you wish you could have done better that really our hope, the foundation for a bright future, is what Christ has done on our behalf. And the implications of the gospel are what inform how we live for him now. Second Corinthians reminded us that we are to live for Christ because of what Christ has done for us. That is the gospel and its implications. And that's what Kimberly needed to hear. Is that what you need to hear? Have you possibly been believing a wrong gospel? If your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ is anything other than Jesus died for me while I was yet sinning, then the Lord would tell you some good news. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel and you will be on the road to being transformed. My session with Dr. Greg was uh, really good. I'm looking forward to digging in deeper into counseling and just to continue to grow and to broaden and establish an even greater relationship with God, with Jesus. So maybe not what you were expecting from this week. Instead of focusing on the issue of a lack of peace, Dr. Giffords found that it was necessary to focus on Kimberly's potential misunderstanding of what the gospel even is. And that is what we may face when we get into a conversation with a brother or a sister or someone who approaches us looking for some help. If you've been here since the first week, uh, you may remember me mentioning that we're not going to be uh, teaching people how to fix each other's problems here, because that's not what biblical counseling is. Biblical counseling is helping people to grow more like Christ, to love Christ more. This is not behavioral modification. Dr. Giffords didn't sit down with Kimberly to help her feel better about her abandonment issues or the times she'd been hurt. He was there to help her be more like Christ. And the reality is this. For a non-believer, the only way they can be anything like Christ in the first place is to repent and put their trust in him. The non-believer is nothing like Christ. It's only through repentance and faith that we even begin to resemble Christ. And it's only through the sanctification that God gives and that we participate in that we become more like Christ. And so what we saw here was a little different. It wasn't a bait and switch. I, 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 I trust that you did see that through Christ, that's where the lack of peace can be abated. But without Christ, think back to before you repented and trusted. Was there 
much more than a lack of peace for you? I mean, we didn't come to Christ to have our peace abated, but that is one of the happy byproducts, isn't it? That we even have the ability to experience real and true peace. Similar to love, joy, happiness, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Apart from Christ, we can't experience any of that, truly. We might get a taste of what the world considers to be love, joy, peace, patience. But only in Christ can we experience it truly. So, with that, um, some of you were here last week, and we took a couple of minutes to come together and perhaps talk with someone you hadn't uh, met before or, or just uh, someone that you hadn't talked with in a little while. But we came together to share ourselves with someone else in an effort and an aim to possibly uh, share our burdens, to lift each other up, perhaps just to fellowship for a couple of moments before the rest of the day happens. And I would like to take just a couple of minutes, maybe five, ten minutes tops, and just welcome you to do that again, perhaps with the person you were with last week, if, if you were here, um, or someone new. And we'll take just a couple of minutes to come together and, and begin to share one another's burdens. This is not an opportunity to find out if the person sitting across from you is actually a Christian. We're not, we're not doing that today. <laughs> However, um, this is an opportunity to, uh, to confess to one another, to bear one another's burdens. And uh, we'll just take a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back together, we'll pray, and we'll get ready for today's service. We have just a couple of moments left. And I hope that everyone's experience was similar to mine, where you got to know a brother or sister a little better, where you were able to, to share a little bit of yourself, and they were able to share a little bit of themselves, and, and now uh, you know the, the, the body can be stronger as we, as we begin to confess and, and come alongside and lift each other up in prayer and encouragement, and um, it's, it's my prayer that this continues and it grows, um, not just in numbers in the seats for Sunday school, but, but among the congregation, including those of you in the uh, foyer who are listening in, uh, <laughs> that we would continue to come alongside one another and lift each other up, that we would, uh, we would grow stronger as a body as well. So we'll pray, and then uh, I'll let you do what you do in between this and the service. Gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this time that we've had to examine from how your word is able to speak to every concern that we may have in this life. We thank you for this body of believers, and especially those who have taken the extra time to learn and to be encouraged, 
helping our brothers and sisters grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by way of biblical counseling. We pray that you would impress upon our hearts and minds the importance of making more of you and less of ourselves. As we consider what we have seen and heard and even talked about with our brothers and sisters here today, Remind us as we recall these things throughout this coming week and as we prepare for next week. We lift up Pastor Matthew as he opens up your word this morning to teach us from John's epistle the importance of following Christ and his example and his commands when it comes to loving one another. We pray that you would open eyes and ears here today that that their eyes would see and the ears would hear your gospel, both within this assembly, throughout our, throughout our nation, and the world. In Jesus' name, amen.